Well, that was fun. It just feels, for me, it feels like it's been so many years since we said goodbye to the preachers, so it's so fun to see them here and, uh, and to be a part, I'm going to need that, um, to be a part of what's going on out there in Nebraska. So what a wonderful time uh, hearing from them, and I can't wait to hear more from them. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. I'm thrilled, in fact. We get to start a new series called The Circle, and I'm really excited about it. We get to talk about community. We get to talk about the thing that all of us long for, uh, desperately, deeply long for, not just us in church, but those out there that desperately long to be known, valued, and loved. So it's an exciting series. I'm excited to talk about it with you. Um, have you ever, uh, let me ask you this question, uh, have you ever um, wondered, are you the person right now who you want to be in the future? Think about that for a second. Are you sitting right here, right now in this church 2019, Capital District, are you who you want to be in the future? That's the question. The, 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 the you now versus the you into the future. And I think that that's an important question to ask as we talk about community and as we talk about circles. If you asked a child, if you asked a child who they are right now, they could probably articulate it fairly well. They would probably say they're a child. They would probably say that introduce you to their mother and father. They would probably tell you all sorts of things about their life. And if you asked a child who they wanted to be, they could articulate that very well. They could articulate, hey, I want to be an astronaut. You ask little Johnny what he wants to be when he grows up. He's going to be an astronaut, a president of the United States, a firefighter, something to that effect. And they have this really good distinction on what's in the future and what's right now. The interesting thing is, is children also have a vivid imagination and so you might even get a chance to watch Johnny pretend like he's a firefighter or an astronaut. After he has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he's going to go play in a box for an hour and pretend he's an astronaut. But when he's done with that, he pushes the box aside and he becomes little Johnny again. He has no problem differentiating between what's in the future and what's right now. With us adults, it's not so easy. It's not so simple. So to ask the question, are you who you want to be in the future, is a tough question to answer. And the reason is, is because as we mature and as we grow, we start to realize that people don't look at us the same way. Little Johnny, as he grows up, starts to realize not everybody looks at me the way mommy does. Not everybody sees me the way daddy does. And it's a sad and sobering process as he begins to realize, oh, I might not be what that person wants me to be. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. If you take a look at children's artwork, and you looked at from ages like four on up to like 13, you could start to see a difference in the way they, they even articulate their fantasies, the way they draw things, starts to look more uniform. And it's because they're starting to understand this is the way a son's supposed to look like. And when they're four or five, it's just the way they see it. It's a difference. And as this, pro this projection goes, as they mature and grow older, they start to realize, I might not be accepted. And they start learning how to put on masks. And they start learning how to articulate themselves in a certain way, in a certain light, so that they might match up with the person that's listening to them. So the question is, is are you today who you want to be in the future? You know, adults, we, we tend to cheat a little bit 
at times, from time to time. We tell stories, and we tell stories from the perspective of the way we are in the future, not necessarily the way we are now. We use adjectives and we describe ourselves in ways that make us think about the future self, not maybe the current self. And if you combine that with the circles that we live in, work, family, church, play, uh, maybe, maybe your kid's school, the kind of stories that you tell in each one of those circles will show you that you're actually trying to get the audience that you're talking to to understand you in the future self. At a barbecue with your neighbors, you will have no problem telling a story about your boss micromanaging you. That just flies out. But if you're sitting at work talking with a coworker, you might want to keep a lid on that story, right? And the what you share with your spouse and kids at home is not necessarily what you share with your family here at church. And it's because we've learned that we, are, we want and we, there's a longing inside us to be accepted by the people around us. And so as adults, we start to cheat a little bit and we gray the line of what I am in the future and what I am today. And that's the topic. That's what we are talking about this morning. A perfect example of this is dating profiles. Now, if you've ever been on any kind of dating site or you've seen a television show or you've talked to somebody who has done this, you end up having to sift through a lot of adjectives about how people describe themselves. They describe themselves bigger, stronger, more beautiful, more affluent, more uh, successful than what really is going on. And it's become so normal that when we read a Facebook post, we automatically assume, well, it's probably not really what's going on there, right? We have this facade, and we do it so subtly and so slowly, and it's for a good cause. It's for a good reason. We just want to be accepted. We desperately long to be authentic, to be real, and to have the people around us say, I see you, and I accept you. And that's a challenge. In fact, it's a challenge that so many people long for. Their whole life, they look for that acceptance. So the question again is, are you today who you want to be, and how do you articulate that? How do we describe an accurate version of ourselves while still holding hope for who we can become? I'll share a little secret with you. I do this. I do this up here. I do this down there. If you come over to my house, I might share a story with you. And the hope is that story will impact you in a way that you'll know me a little bit better. But you'll know the future self. <laughs> Maybe not the self today with all my glaring uh, faults and mistakes and issues, right? So the question is, is how can we be accepted? How can you be accepted and I think we all know that you can describe yourself in a way, and people can accept that version of you, but that's not true acceptance. It's a limited acceptance. So how are we to be accepted? How can we be truly, deeply known? And it's a question that humans have been asking from the beginning of time. And this is the beauty, this is the excitement, this is the hope that we can place, is that God not only knew 
that we're going to struggle with being accepted, he told story after story after story of how to be accepted, how to be really, truly known for who you really are. Not the future version, and not even the past version, but the current version of you. And he shares that with us. He shares that with us in Scripture. And today, we get to look at an amazing passage. This is the written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And just a little side note, if you want to talk to someone about the, the um, authenticity of, of Jesus coming and dying on the cross and rising again on the third day, just ask them if they have a brother. And if they have a brother, say, what would it take for that brother to convince you that he was the son of God? I'll bet it would take a lot. I'll bet it would take something as big as him walking with you and dying for you and rising again for you, wouldn't it? I have a brother, and it would take a lot for him to convince me that he is the son of God. A lot. I think he's tried a few times, but it hasn't worked. That's pretty cool, right? That's the context of this letter. Paul, James, the half-brother of Jesus. We don't really hear too much about him during Jesus' ministry. But something changes in Brother James when he sees Jesus resurrected. And he becomes the leader or the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he is a huge authority in the new church world. And this is what he says to his flock about authenticity and about how you can be really, truly known. This is in chapter 5 of the book of James. Amazing, fascinating book. If you haven't read through it, I really recommend it. James is a pretty smart guy. He grew up with Jesus, as it turns out. Verse 13 of, of chapter 5, James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And we just pause right there for a minute and go, oh, that sounds like the kind of community I want to be a part of. If you're sick, you ask for prayer. If you're happy, you sing songs of praise. If you're in trouble, you pray. Pretty authentic, pretty real. There's nothing in that little passage that talks about, oh, and you might want to tell a story or two and make people think that you're really special. You might want to hide all those things that you do at home that nobody knows about. You want to hide none of that. It's true. It's, it's transparent. It's honest. And he goes on in 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. That's more transparency. That's more authenticity. And he's not only saying that you can have this authentic, transparent life where everything is real, but God blesses it. God blesses it. And these types of prayers get answered. And these kinds of sins get healed and forgiven. And then there's that beautiful word in verse 16, therefore. And that's a code word. That code word is, oh, by the way, if you want this community, if you want this authenticity, if you want this realness where you don't have to fake, you don't have to go and tell stories about who you hope you're going to be, if you want that, it, it requires something. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Little pro tip from Brother James on authenticity. And it's an interesting, interesting idea. The confession of sins and the prayer. There goes that card again. Why in the world would confession of sin produce authentic community? Why would confessing your deep, dark secrets produce closeness? Because I can tell you what happens in my mind when I think about standing up here and saying, oh, by the way, I struggle with X. The thing my mind immediately produces is, oh, those people love you, but not that much, right? If they found out, I get this little fear in the back of my mind going, oh, be careful, be careful, be careful, you're walking on thin ice. And I'm sure that's what goes on in your mind when you think about the things that you have in secret or the mistakes that you've made or maybe the times that you've exaggerated this or that so someone would accept you. So why in the world would confessing that produce closeness, would produce community? And it's a simple reason. It's the simple little reason. And it's a reason that we always seem to forget. We always seem to just speed by it. It's the reality that we're screw-ups. It's the reality that we make mistake after mistake after mistake. It's the reality that we share those mistakes with others. And it reminds us that Jesus loves you, the you right now. He doesn't just love the you in the future. And he doesn't even just love the you in the past. He loves you right now with what you did last night and what you did the night before and the story that you told your boss that wasn't quite true and on and on and on. So when we confess our sins, we're reminding ourselves painfully and brutally that we cannot do this without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot be even who we are today without the knowledge and the belief and the faith that Jesus was a man, that he walked among us, that he died for us, and that he rose from the grave for our sake. We tend to forget that. And you go, oh my gosh, how could you forget about the gospel? Well, well, sometimes I think we set the gospel aside and we think, well, you know, I learned about the gospel and I trusted Jesus and I'm a Christian, and now look at all the stuff that I've done to make myself a little better. And we kind of stand on that, and we get confidence from that, that stuff that we've tried to force. And then you're supposed to go to your brother and say, oh, let me tell you this, I got this thing I got to get off my chest. No, see, I'm a mature Christian. I've been a Christian for many years. I accepted Christ, and I believed in the gospel then, and now I've got all this stuff. I'm good. I'm good with it. But the confession of sin reduces me to what I really am without Jesus, which is just a failure. It's a reminder. And that's why it's so bonding. Because when I confess what's going on with me to my brother, and my brother turns and does it back to me, he confesses what's going on with him, all of a sudden we realize, oh my gosh, we're struggling with the same stuff. We're struggling with the same sins. We're struggling with the same mistakes and the same fears and the, and the same um, ideologies of, of who we are supposed to be and who we are today. Oh my gosh, it's bonding. It's incredible. 
See, if you want to be part of a place that accepts you, if you want that, it takes work. And it's not the sweat labor kind of work. It's the embarrassing kind of work that no one likes. If you want to be a part of a group that is there for you, it takes vulnerability. It takes courage. Because when you confess to your brother or your sister, you're taking a step of faith. And you're standing out here going, okay, here I am. I'm totally exposed. I told you this thing that I did, and now I'm waiting. And your brother or sister has a choice. They can look you up and down, and they can go, mm, wow, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> right? Or their eyes can fall to the floor, and they can go, I struggled with that last week. I don't judge you for that. We're going to work on this together. Come on, let's figure this out. And it can be this glue that bonds you. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes patience. It takes that vulnerability that we so um, difficultly give up. If you want to be a part of a thriving community, it takes a lot. So this is the point that I want you to know this morning. I wrote it down, and I threw it on the ground twice just so I would remember. In order to be accepted, you must be willing to be known. See, we want to be accepted, and, and, and we know that to some degree we have to be known. So we confess the little things, or, we, or, or maybe we share the things that we know everybody struggles with. Speeding, right? Am I right? Yeah, everybody likes to speed. That's a safe one. But what I said to my wife last night in anger, mm, that's not so safe, right? If you want to be accepted, you have to be willing to be really, truly, authentically, deeply known. And without Jesus, that's a scary thought. That's a scary thing. So as we talk about community, as we talk about this church growing in width and in growing in depth in its community, how well we know each other, and you guys love this, because I can't get you to stop talking when it's mixing time, right? When I say greet everybody, it's great. You talk and you want to know each other. There's a desire here that's just so refreshing. But you have to be willing to be known. And so maybe we're, we, we like to be known at a certain level, at a certain depth, right? I'm okay here, but nobody knows about the stuff down here. But they're not really accepting you unless they accept all of you. Here's another, here's another thought about acceptance and being known in authenticity. It's really hard to do that in rows. It's really hard to be truly known or to truly accept, or to even be accepted in rows. Now, what we do on Sunday morning celebrates the community. And, and, and we can have fun, and we can do things together when we're rubbing shoulders together in this wonderful experience, worshiping and praying and digging into Jesus' word. That's a great thing, but it's not quite the right structure. Or maybe... The rows put pressure on the guy up front to be transparent and vulnerable. But it's not a two-way street. It's not the right structure. 
Now, the right structure is a circle. Circles are much, much more effective at, at getting known and being authentic than rows. It's not saying that rows are bad, it's just not what they're designed to do. I mean, you know I'm going to talk about life groups. I mean, I always talk about life groups. I love life groups. I, I, I can't shut up about life groups, I know. But I don't even care if you join a life group or not in this context. I hope you do. It's so great. They're amazing. And we've got a bunch of them that are going right now that are just doing so well. But I don't care how you define it. If you define it like a life group or you just find a circle of people who won't judge you, that's what you need. That's what we need. We need circles. Whether it's an official life group and an unofficial life group or a coffee, a bunch of guys getting together for coffee once a week, whatever it is, find a circle. And don't expect rows to produce authenticity. Rows only celebrate authenticity. They don't produce it. Now, here at Grace Chapel, we push life groups hard. We have launch every fall, and we launch all these groups, and we have facilitators, and we do curriculum, we do all this stuff. And honestly, that is just an attempt at creating circles so that you can be known and so that you can know. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you join a life group, and it's not your kind of people, <laughs> And, and either they're not accepting you or you don't accept them or it's just clunky and awkward and hard and you give it a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, and it's just, oh, it's not mine. It's, it's not my group. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But know this. Circles will produce a much, much better return on investment when you're talking about community and authenticity and being known than Rose will. So, there's really only two things, two bits of ingredients that we need for this recipe. The first one is this, and we just talked about it, confession. This is the, hey, got a second? I need to get something off my chest. This is the conversation that you might want to have in like a car instead of a coffee shop or an office where no one can hear you, right? Take a walk outside where no one's around, and you grab a buddy and you say, hey, i got to get something off my chest. The fact that we even have a saying that is, let me get something off my chest, proves the, 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 the success of this. It may have nothing to do with your friend. It may have everything to do with your friend. i got to get something off my chest. i got to tell you something. And I'm scared. <laughs> because if I tell you and you judge me harshly for it, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to clam up. And this relationship will, will start to part but i got to get this thing off my chest. It's killing me. It's eating me alive inside. You see, last week I did this thing, and I said this thing, and I sent that email, and blah, 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 blah. <sighs> Holy cow, I feel better. And then your friend's turn. Confession. James is telling his church members to confess together because he knows that if they put up a facade, if they act like they have it together, if they act like they don't need the gospel, it's not authentic. It's not real. What the person is accepting is not the true version of them. It's the future version. It's not the current version. So confess and I would love it if you did it in a life group. Maybe, maybe your life group's too big. Maybe you grab somebody from your life group one night and you take a walk and you tell them what's going on. 
how you really feel. Tell them the you now. Don't tell them about the you in the future. And let them survey you completely and let them respond. And my prayer is that they respond with grace and love and forgiveness. But they're human too, so you don't know. It's a risk. It's a big risk. First step, confession. The second one, I have a, I have a quote here by Bonhoeffer. This is what he says about confession. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he's no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of another person. That's deep. Later on he says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Oh, that sounds horrible. And I'm here to tell you, I've been there. It is horrible. Let that sink in. Confession, it's valuable when building community. And the second one is this, prayer. Now, prayer has to be in every aspect of church. It, has, it should be in every aspect of our life. Peter even says we should be praying without ceasing. That's how valuable and important prayer is. But I'm talking about one kind of prayer. There's some times where you, where you sit together in a group and you have a list of things that you need to pray for. There are so many needs, even in a small community like this. We've got to pray for them. We've got to pray for the people that are hurting. We've got to uh, thank Jesus for the people that have found success or that are, are seeing his hand. We have to pray for those who don't know him. We have to pray for all those things, those lists of things. And they're good and rich, and we should be praying for those things. But there's a difference between praying for someone who isn't present and praying for someone who is present. And we're talking about community. You don't need to pray for someone. You need to be praying with someone. Brother, I got something off my chest. I got to get it. I got to tell you this thing. Here's this thing. I'm going to tell you this thing. Here it is. And my brother puts his hand on my shoulder and says, let's pray. Oh, that's the bond. That's the authenticity. That's the connection. We have to pray with each other. And sometimes prayer turns into a social hour, right? And, and it's totally fine. It's not a bad thing. And you talk and you talk and you talk and you share and you share and you share. And at the end, you pray. I love those groups. I'm a part of those groups. I do that all the time. But that's not the kind of prayer that I'm talking about here. The kind of prayer that produces community, that produces authenticity, is the kind of prayer in the moment that you move together in prayer and you connect deeply with this person. That's the kind of prayer James is talking about. Rich, deep, authentic prayer. When you have a group of men stand over you and say, you have an issue, we're going to pray for you, we're going to anoint you with oil, we love you, we're going to pray for you right now. There's connection there. There's connection. Confession and prayer. In order to be accepted, we must be willing to be known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, it seems like we're so alone sometimes. It seems like we're so far away, whether it's from our brothers and sisters or whether it's just life in general or, or, or whether it's even from you. We feel so far away. And God, as we think of the words from your half-brother James and his request that we confess to one another and that we pray with one another, God, I ask that that would inspire 
this church. I ask that, that this would be such a big deal to this church that we would take this home and we would do it, that we would confess and that we would pray and we would do it over and over and over and we wouldn't be ashamed or afraid of who we are right now and everyone knowing it. God, that we wouldn't be tempted to tell stories or to use adjectives that describe the future me, but we would tell it like it is. And God, I ask that even though church has got a reputation of not being a place where you can be free or real or authentic, that Grace Chapel would be a church that stands out as a place that you can say anything, you can confess anything, you can share any challenge, and there's going to be people that wrap their arms around you and love you. God, we know that we can't do this on our own because on our own, we just put up facades. So God, I ask that you would move in us and that you would create this passion and that we would understand in order to be accepted, we have to truly be known. We thank you for knowing us. We thank you for knowing us completely. In your name, amen.